everybody. This is Evan Lazar, and you are listening to the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by the CLNS Media Podcast Network and brought to you by our great sponsors at betonline.ag. I'm joined, as always, by Alex Barth of 98.5. And Alex, just before we hit record on the pod today... I love this. Breaking news on a pre-recorded podcast. It doesn't get any better. Like a breaking news, uh, you know, sound effect or something. Maybe we can add that in post. Just before... We signed on to talk about all things, uh, latest news and the Patriots offseason moves. The Miami Dolphins informed linebacker Kyle Van Noy of his release. Van Noy, obviously formerly of the Patriots, kind of made his career with New England and got that deal in Miami in free agency last uh, two offseasons ago because of what he did with the Patriots. So this is obviously a, a domino effect here that Van Noy could easily end up back with New England. I think we could have saw this coming that the Patriots and Van Noy talked about this at length, that Bill Belichick really used him in the best possible way and got the best out of his skill set because of the usage in defense. And then he goes someplace else and he was still productive for Miami, but they obviously felt that the contract did not match the production. In they, the saved, they saved $9 million with this. So, right. you know, in a year where cap is tight, it's certainly understandable. It's not that he fell off extremely or anything like that. The other interesting angle here is we discuss a potential Patriots return for Kyle Van Noy is normally in one of these scenarios where a former Patriot or a clear Patriot target ends up on the market and you say he makes sense for New England, you also kind of have to talk about, you know, the the satellite campuses of the New England Patriots. But right now, Detroit's no longer a satellite campus. Matt Patricia's out. He's not going, I mean, probably not going back to Miami like those satellite, maybe the Giants would be the only one left, but you're not right. talking about, you know, competition within the Bill Belichick coaching tree to get him. If Bill wants him, he's not fighting off his other assistants to get him. I think it would make a ton of sense. I don't know if we have the tape, if we can go back and pull the tape from when we, the first time we worked together at CLNS, when Van Noy left, I said, and I said this uh, uh, all over the place, Kyle Van Noy to me screamed like that Patrick Chung, Jamie Collins type of player where he comes to New England. I guess Chung's first stint wasn't great, but comes to New England, proves to be, you know, a quality player, goes elsewhere, chases the money, doesn't have the same success in another system, and then comes back for a second stint and really solidifies his legacy as a Patriot. I can totally, totally see Kyle Van Noy following that track, and it's playing out here. I don't think it's going to cost the Patriots a ton to bring him back. Like, I don't think his market's going to be too robust. And then on top of that, they have the money if they have to pay him a little more if they want him back. They need linebackers. They need veteran, experienced linebackers. This should absolutely be a conversation. The Patriots should absolutely be in on Van Noy. I wouldn't be surprised if Kyle Van Noy is a Patriot by the end of the week. You know, because he can sign with any team now. They just released him, so he's automatically an unrestricted free agent, just like J.J. Watt was. He doesn't have to wait till March 17th to sign with a new team. The Patriots have that need, like you said, for a veteran linebacker. I think another linebacker in the draft, when you just drafted Uche and Jennings, is kind of more of the same. Unless you're going to go up in the first round and get Micah Parsons or Zayvon Collins or somebody like that that's going to come in and make a day one impact, you're kind of looking at the same 
same sort of trajectory for their careers, whereas Van Noy, you know, is a plug-and-play starter for you on the edge. And that was really where his career blossomed, is when Bill Belichick, early on in his career with Detroit, Van Noy played inside linebacker off the ball for the Lions, and that was a role change, a position switch for him. In college, he was an edge rusher, rushing the passer, setting the edge of the defense, playing behind the line of scrimmage or on the line of scrimmage, and that was where he really felt most comfortable. And then he goes and he, and he transitions, obviously, to inside linebacker due to his size, due to his athletic ability at the pro level, and it didn't work out in Detroit, and he was a failed second-round pick with the Lions that the Patriots get for absolutely nothing, one of those Bill Belichick pick-swap swindles that he has done in the past. He comes to New England, Belichick puts him back on the line of scrimmage in a 3-4 defense as an outside linebacker, and everybody's making these Mike Vrabel, Rosie Colvin, you know, whatever one you want to use kind of comparisons of this guy that can play a little bit on the line, a little bit off the line, extremely versatile guy, really smart and cerebral guy that really started to pick up the system later on in his Patriots career as well. And Bill Belichick talked about that too, of how smart of a player and instinctive of a player Kyle Van Noy became. So 2019, the boogeyman, his last season with the Patriots, Van Noy was a really, really good player for them led the team in quarterback pressures, goes ahead and gets paid by Miami, and here we are that he's a free agent again. So it was a little bit of an interesting ending, I would say, to Van Noy's Patriots tenure. That 2019 season obviously didn't end any way that anyone was expecting, but I remember standing in the locker room on uh, the day after they lost to the Titans, speaking to Kyle Van Noy, and we all left that day saying, oh, this guy's chasing the money, right? There's no way he's back here next year. He's going to go after the biggest contract possible in the free agent market. We all thought that Miami was a possibility. Detroit was a possibility again with Matt Patricia. He ends up in Miami for, I think it was almost $13 million a year, a really big free agent contract. It just felt like the writing was on the wall for him at that point that he was going to go ahead and get paid and take advantage of how well he played in New England. But, you know, now it's a different story, and the Patriots have the cap space. This this move makes all the sense in the world to add him back with Dante Hightower and give them some veteran presence at that edge position. That was, I would say, arguably the worst part of their defense last year was setting the edge of the defense. John yep. Simon, Chase Winovich uh, really struggled in that role. Van Noy did not. So I, I think that this is an easy one, an easy one to decide that they should uh, go after him, I would say. And I, I guess I'll just to backtrack something I said because I saw somebody, I can't remember who pointed this out on Twitter. There is, I guess, technically one more Patriot satellite campus out there now, and that's down in Tampa. And they do have some linebackers that are pending for agents, so maybe that's competition. But it's a different yeah. scheme, though, right? You know, it's not the it's right. not the Patriots scheme. Yeah, t- Brady well, is down I mean, there, but Brady's becoming wrong. more and more the coach. He might take over the defensive side of the ball at some he's point. But isn't Todd Bowles is the defense is a very good defensive coordinator. He just won them the Super Bowl, basically. Right. So I, I think the other thing with going down there, I will mention, is that. Maybe more so than Brady, Kyle Van Noy is extremely close with Robbie G, as he calls him, Rob Gronkowski. Those two were really good friends in New England. So maybe if you're looking for a Tampa Bay connection, I think it's actually beyond Brady. It might actually be Gronk that could really appeal to Kyle Van Noy. Again, I think the biggest thing is, though, is that he knew that Bill Belichick optimized him here in New England. He knew that... His skill set was best used by Bill. And I remember he went on, I can't remember, I think it was a Bleacher Report podcast or something like that, where he said, I got to New England. Bill kind of gave me like a three-step plan of how he was going to use me in this defense. And I kind of had an epiphany of like, wow, this guy knows exactly how to use me correctly. This is exactly how I should have been playing my entire career. And he really turned it around with the Patriots. 
this would be an awesome move for the Pats. This is exactly the type of player, the type of situation that they needed, somebody that they have a pass relationship with that they can bring in to add to the front seven. I couldn't really think – I never thought that this was a possibility because I think he had a, He actually had a pretty solid season. Yeah, no, he, he, he was good. This is a, a – you know, we did last week the cap casualties. Right. This is a cap casualty. They have Andrew Van Ginkle, who isn't Van Noy, but isn't a bad player at all. Like, he's yeah. a solid player. So, you know – there's not a $9 million gap between the two of them. It was worth freeing up the $9 million. That's just the reality of, of what this offseason is going to be in the NFL for most teams. Not all of them. There's a handful of teams that do actually have some cap space under the lowered salary cap. But you're going to see players like this, like Kyle Vinoy, quality players coming off of good years. Vinoy, is he even 30? Like he's not. I don't think so because the Patriots old. in his on his rookie contract. Remember from my from uh, Miami from Detroit. Excuse me. When they made that trade, he was still a rookie on his uh, on his rookie deal. I mean, and I well, think he turns. Yeah, he t- he turns thirty March twenty sixth. Right. So, so he'll be a, a guy who you know age isn't an issue here. No, age isn't an issue. I would assume as well that this is probably going to be one of those situations where the player is going to take a one-year deal to try to reset his value. This just screams exactly what Jamie Collins just did with the Patriots, right? And I I think they're going to have to pay Van Noy a little bit more than what they paid Collins this last time around. But this screams that situation where he signs a one-year deal back in New England where he knows he's going to start and he knows he's going to produce. It's an easy transition back into the system for him. He knows everything, the ins and the outs of the defense like the back of his hand. He's going to have a great season with the Patriots if he comes back. He has I love how we're talking deal. about this like it's just a done deal. I like just, it's done. It's, it's obviously <laughs> going to be up to him, right? You know, it's obviously going to be up to him if he wants to come back, but it didn't end on a poor note. I mean, obviously it ended on a poor note in terms of the results losing to the Titans and the wild card round was not what right. anybody had in, in mind. But and he specifically end, did not play well in that game. Yeah, it didn't end poorly with the coaching staff. It didn't end poorly with Bill Belichick. You know, there was no sourness on either side. It was just that Miami came out and gave this godfather type of offer to Kyle Van Noy in free agency that the Patriots just never were going to match. But I think it really comes back to the fact that the Patriots have, like we've been saying, they have those young linebackers in Uche and Jennings that are those developmental pieces. If you add another guy, you know, if you add a Pete Warner, if you add somebody like that in the second or the third round, it's kind of the same thing, right? You're still going with young, inexperienced players. Van Noy gives them a guy that has been here, done that, won a Super Bowl, understands how the scheme is around and understands his role within it. it that's why it makes so much sense is that and you look at and for team, this can be sort of a reclamation project for both sides. Right. And you look, I mean, Hightower, we think, is coming back from the opt-out. The report is he's coming back. But beyond right. that, I mean, their next closest linebacker, he's kind of in that gray area, I guess, in, in terms of veteran, is John Simon. He's a pending free agent. Correct. Who knows if he's coming back. So if you lose Simon, then you have Hightower coming off a year off. You have Bentley, who has like 30-something NFL games under his belt, and then a bunch of rookies or second-year guys. So Correct. bringing this was a huge problem last year. You mentioned their linebackers specifically on the edge were one of the main issues. I think a big reason that was an issue is you just had a ton of guys who had either never played in the NFL or, or played only a handful of snaps in the NFL. You did that's a position where experience is huge, and they didn't have it. They had Brandon Copeland for like four or five weeks, but he was mostly on special teams. And then he got hurt. They didn't have that that veteran presence again. Shalit Calhoun 
kind of was in that role at one point. He's hardly what you would consider, you know, not a bad player, but he's hardly a seasoned NFL veteran. He's a departure from the kind of, you know, veteran leader Dante Hightower is. Kyle Van Noy can give you some of that. So not only does he help schematically, I think just having him in that room would be incredibly valuable to the team as they try to develop the Joshua Chase, the Anthony Jennings, Therese Hall, like whoever. Absolute no-brainer, I think, from the Patriots' perspective. The question is, is does Van Noy want to come back? Are the Patriots going to be willing to pay the money that he might be able to get on the open market? But from New England's perspective, an absolute no-brainer. This was well, the type of veteran linebacker move that they kind of needed this offseason. Right? I didn't really think that they were going to be too interested in a Levante David or even the Matt Milano at their price tags. But Van Noy on a one-year, $8 million deal – to come play edge for them so that they can develop Uche and Jennings behind them. That, that's got no brainer from a Patriot perspective written all over. Well, it. you want, let, let, let's play this game. You're talking about the value. So Van Noy on his previous deal was scheduled to make $12 million over the next three years. So that's, this is why you don't do math on the other. That's third. Would you give him like a three year, $30 million contract, $36 million contract? I probably would. I don't know if Bill Belichick would go there for pass rush. He usually doesn't pay the pass rushers, Chandler Jones, Richard Seymour, Kyle Van Dorn, right. to whatever level of, of degree you want to go with. Usually those guys get paid elsewhere, not in New England. But I do think that the Patriots, again, do not, like you've been saying, they don't have a ton of veteran presence at that spot. And yeah. Van Noy is definitely the type of guy that could stick around for a couple of years and give them that, and it would really mitigate some of their needs on the edge of the defense and not force them to either overpay somebody else in free agency that's never been in the scheme or go out in the draft and use another high asset, another top 100 pick on an edge rusher. Remember, I mentioned Uche and Jennings. They also used the top 100 pick on Chase Winovich. So they've tried right. to hit that spot in the draft three times now. And they've gotten some good players. They've gotten some good prospects, but those are developmental guys. You know, Winovich maybe not so much anymore because we kind of know what he is. But certainly with Uche and Jennings, we're still in the developmental stages of their careers. This is a ready-made starting NFL edge defender in Kyle Van Noy, who just had a huge season with the Patriots not too long ago. So, And again, he had a good season... He had a good season in Miami, so it's not like, you know, you're not getting him, because I see people on Twitter right now saying Jamie Collins... And they got Jamie Collins for it. Wasn't it like nine hundred thousand dollars? It was. It was nothing. Yeah. And right. Jamie Collins really did not. You're right. I know where right. you're going. This. This isn't quite that. There's certainly a parallel, and I'm not saying you can't yeah. draw that parallel, but you can't when it comes to the contract. Kyle Van Noy was not cut because he's not a good player. He had a very good player last year. Was he playing up to twelve million dollars a year? Right. A, a fourteen million dollar cap hit. Maybe not. Was he playing as like an eight, nine, ten million dollar a year linebacker? Yeah, probably. Is he going to get that in free agency? The market's down. You know, as I kind of look here at this contract a little further, so there was an out after this upcoming season. So they didn't use the out here. They're going to have to eat the dead money, which it looks like is a lot. Is It's only like $4 so that's not too bad. But, you know, you factor in the out, you split the difference. Can you get him for like two years, $22 two years, $23 That feels realistic to me. Based on the deal J.J. Watt just signed, and and what he's been in the last five years, only playing 16 games twice, he hasn't played eight in the other more than eight in the other three. I would give Kyle Van Noy like a two-year, ten million dollar, twelve million dollar a year contract, and that's not totally foreign for the Patriots either. They don't pay big for edge rushers, but they will go out and give a linebacker that kind of middle-term deal 
in the in the times where they really need one. And like we've said, for a number of reasons, uh, in in terms of putting together the depth chart, in terms of a veteran leader, they need that guy. I don't think that's unrealistic for Van Noy. I think that could get it done, like two two twenty three, something like that. Like that feels like my question is a yeah, realistic ballpark. Yeah, just to wrap this up, my question is, is do they even need to do that? Because this is gonna be an off season with the cap situation being that what it is, and a lot of these veteran players are gonna sign one year deals. Right? A lot of these guys are gonna sign one year deals for modest money and they're gonna bank on themselves so that when the cap resets in twenty twenty two and goes back up to over two hundred million dollars, they can then go ahead and cash out. Right. and make that big money deal. So from Van Noy's perspective, I actually think that the best thing for him to do well, is yeah. to sign a one-year deal in New England, right. ball out, and then go and sign another big contract in free agency after that. That's the parallel to Jamie Collins, right? It's not right. so much that Van Noy is at that level of, of where Collins was before he came back to New England in 2019. The parallel is that one-year deal, bet on yourself, play really well, and then go ahead and get your big money contract. We got to shout out our sponsor at betonline.ag. Maybe you want to go on BetOnline and bet on Kyle Van Noy's next destination. I'm sure that odds will be up there very soon or any of the upcoming free agents that we're going to talk about on today's podcast. But BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are on full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome Bonus on your first deposit. Don't sit on the sidelines any anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. All right. We wanted to talk about one more piece of news here before we move on to our free agency offensive preview. We did defense last week. We're going to do offense this week, non-quarterback still, because we talked so much about the QBs. The other piece of info we wanted to talk about was Jason Lockenfora saying that NFL executives feel that Stephon Gilmore is basically trade bait now for New England and he is going to be traded at some point in this offseason. What did Lockin for, I think, said it was a foregone conclusion is basically what he is hearing of Gilmore being traded. We've talked about this one briefly, but maybe not as in-depth as we could. This seems like a really strong possibility that's been brewing for a very long time. Last training camp, the Patriots had to give him an advance in his salary to get him back into camp because he was unhappy with his contract. He puts his house on the market. He goes uh, you know, right around the trade deadline, the NFL trade deadline last season. He doesn't get moved. They tried to move him or had conversations about moving him before the draft as well last year. So this is a long time coming that Stephon Gilmore and the Patriots are parting ways. Yeah, and it I, I don't know that it made sense for them to like need to do it enough at any of those previous points you mentioned. It makes sense now. He needs a new contract. They're going in another direction, you know, giving a 30-year-old corner $25, 30000000 million a year, whatever it's going to be, that's just not where they are as an organization right now. So it, it, it makes a ton of sense at this point. Right. The question is, how do they approach it? Are they going to look at a player for player? And maybe you find a player on another team who's in a similar spot at a position of need, right? Corner's not exactly that kind of position of need for the Patriots. Is there a wide receiver somewhere? Is is there a safety somewhere who's in this kind of same spot that they can just essentially trade problem for problem? Or do you go into the draft? That's what I would do. I wrote about this last week for 985thesportshub.com. You can check it out. I think what you have to do with Gilmore, look at what the Vikings did 
was Stephon Diggs last year. They traded him for it, and it was a bunch of picks, but we're just going to highlight they traded him for a first-round pick. They then used that first-round pick on the same position. So, yes, you give up an established veteran, but an established veteran who wanted out, and in exchange you get younger at the position, you get more affordable at the position. If you hit on the pick, you still get a good player. Obviously, that last one's a big if, but, you know, Diggs was under contract. Diggs, I think, had four years left on a five-year deal when they made that trade. He's also younger than Gilmore and wasn't coming off a knee injury. So the value's not quite the same. The Vikings, I think, they moved into the top 15, right? Where was Jefferson taken? Or was they he like 15? 22. Uh, 21. Right before, okay. right before the Patriots pick, because if you remember, the Patriots were on the phone. Nick is right. Daniel Belichick. They make the right, pick. Right. The Vikings make the pick for Justin Jefferson. The Patriots traded out of 23 like 30 seconds later. So I would say that Again, in some sense, the value wasn't quite there, but I would argue Gilmore just inherently as a player is more valuable than what Stephon Diggs was at this time last year, uh, just being a cornerback. Um, obviously, he needs a new contract. That doesn't help. So a first-round pick may be a stretch, but a team I'm looking at is the Green Bay Packers. They're sitting at number 29. It was made painfully obvious last year, Evan, in that NFC Championship game. Just Jair Alexander, and as good as he is, and I think the world of Jair Alexander is a corner, he needs some help on the other side, or it's not going to matter, right? right? He can't cover every receiver on the field. He can only cover one guy. And the Packers, are they need to sell out. They need to go and make a run. Aaron Rodgers' window is closing, right? So can you get 29 for maybe Gilmore, and you throw a fourth, a fifth in there, something, and then you use that pick on a corner? Maybe it's Asante Samuel Jr. or somebody I've seen mocked there. Um, you know, something like that where you mimic the Stephon Diggs trade. Another team I think that now should be in play for Stephon Gilmore, they weren't until yesterday, is the Arizona Cardinals because they're starting to build up quite the roster, but they're missing one thing, a secondary. They have right. Buda Baker, who's good, but, you know, Patrick Peterson isn't quite Patrick Peterson anymore. You know, they again, they have an aging Byron Murphy. I, you know, I, I think that's something where can you get a first-round pick from a team that's just desperate and will overpay for an elite corner. And then they're a little bit higher in the draft. The Cardinals, I don't remember exactly where they are. Um, but do the same thing. Flip that, and then maybe you're in the J.C. Horn conversation or something like that. That's how I would approach this if I was the Patriots. So I think that the Patriots kind of – I think they, they – by kicking the can down the road on this trade, I think they eliminated all hope that they're going to get a first-round pick for Stephon Gilmore because he's only under contract for one more year. It's not even necessarily the age and the injury. It's that you're trading for the player to then pay the player and, and give him a monster contract on top of the fact that you have to flip an asset for him. So I wonder if the best possible scenario for them – and I think there are some things that are in play – in the top 50, you know, maybe Dallas trades their second round pick to the Patriots for Stephon Gilmore, but I actually would call Dallas and try to orchestrate a deal around Michael Gallup and Stephon Gilmore. Maybe Dallas gives you Michael Gallup in a third and you send back Stephon Gilmore to, to the Cowboys. Those player for player swaps, I think it need to be in the conversation with Gilmore because they can take, like you said, from an area of strength at cornerback and address a need at wide receiver and get a veteran wide out in here because I think the draft pick, as we know, an end of the first round draft pick can be a crapshoot, right? It can turn right. as quickly as it can turn into Logan Makins, it can t- can turn into Nikhil Harry, right? And you just don't know at that at that. Well, Rosai Dowling was the second round, but yeah, and, yeah, you know what, I, what we're getting yeah. at. So the question is, is is that is that really the route that you want to go with such a great player like Stephon Gilmore? Not knowing exactly what you're going to get in that draft pick is a little bit dicey. Now, I think the benefit of it is, is and we I wrote about this a few weeks ago, is 
that there are some cornerbacks in the draft, especially near the top of the draft, who are really, really prototypical Patriot type of players. Um, Patrick Sertan's probably going to be a top 10, top 15 pick, but he's definitely a Patriot type of corner. Press, top 15, top and- 5. Maybe. I don't know. It depends on who you ask on that one. Caleb Farley has a lot of people spooning as well because of his athleticism. But either way, he's going to be in the top 10, top 15 of the NFL draft. J.C. Horn, I think, is another guy who might be the most physical corner in the entire draft, right? He plays a really physical brand of football, both against the pass and in run support. He can tackle. He can really play press man coverage. He's got fluidity. He's got all the man coverage skills in the world that you're going to want. He's got ball skills. He's got length. He went to South Carolina, just like Gilmore, right? You know, there's there's a lot of things that he resembles in a Patriot type of corner as well. So there are guys in the draft, especially in that first-round conversation, at 15 that the value is going to be there and the skill set and the translation into the Patriots defense is 100% going to be there. Now, none of us really want to are clamoring for the Patriots to take a corner in the first round necessarily, but if they lose a guy like Gilmore, they need to have somebody in that spot that can start and play productively right away. You can't really go with, a, oh, let's see what happens with Jawan Williams at that spot, or let's put Jason McCourty there at that spot at his age. I think that that's a, a losing proposition. So somebody next to, uh, on the other side of JC Jackson needs to be a, a ready tailor-made corner. And I think that there's a bunch of options in the first round there that I just mentioned. I, I don't know if Farley's necessarily their type of guy. He's pretty raw, but Patrick Sertan and JC Horn in particular are two guys that definitely check a lot of boxes for the Patriots. Yeah, and I mean, I, it's an interesting point about Gallup. You kind of just trade one need for another. I, I'm still, you know, I think they can get a first round pick. I, they're not trading into the top 15 with him. They're not going to do that. Right. But again, a team like the Packers that the, the window's so small, what does that first round pick really do for them? Right. By yeah. the time that guy's ready to go, is Aaron Rodgers even still there? Okay. So like I look at that and I think it just makes all the sense in the world for them to bring in a veteran. There's not a ton they can do with that pick. I know you have to figure out the cap side of it, but the cap, as Belichick likes to say, can be maneuvered. So I'm not, I don't know. Like if you trade for a guy like Michael Gallup, right? Who you just brought up, then that's, uh, you know, a one year for a one year thing. Like, are you re-signing? If, if you can sign Michael Gallup to an extension, I guess I'm more behind it. If you know you're going to do that, but True. If you trade Gilmore for a first, you draft a corner. That's a four to five year investment. That's a guy you know you're going to have as you go through this pseudo rebuild that you that can kind of be a cornerstone of the defense. If you trade Gilmore for Gallup, you're giving up a cornerstone who granted you might lose anyway, but for a guy you might lose, you still might lose anyway. And then you're just back to zero. I guess maybe you get a third round comp pick. So I, I'm just, I guess I'm more interested in the long term right now. And to me, if you can swap him for a pick, I understand there's risk, but I just like the long-term upside of that. And I trust Bill Belichick to identify uh, a first-round cornerback, maybe not a second-round cornerback. I already mentioned Razai Dowling. Uh, but in, in such a good cornerback year, right, uh, I, yeah. I trust him to go out and find the right guy there. Yeah, I think it's an interesting trade because – I think the Patriots are going to pull off a trade this offseason. This is just a gut feeling that that's a little bit creative, right? I don't know if it's going to necessarily be that traditional, oh, we flip Jimmy Garoppolo for a high second round pick, right? I don't know if it's going to be that way because I feel like if he goes to Green Bay, 
Maybe it's like a second round pick and Green Bay has got a bunch of, re- of receivers. Maybe they send a receiver a part of the package too to incentivize the deal for the Patriots. You know, it's something like that. That's a little bit outside the box. That is sort of like an NBA trade where you're trading right. players and picks. I feel like that that's sort of how the Patriots need to think right now because they might not be a super attractive destination for some of these free agent wide receivers we're about to talk about. They might not be able to entice Hunter Henry to come here with their quarterback situation or a Curtis Samuel or a Will Fuller to come here with their quarterback situation. So maybe they have to think a little bit outside the box. And and that's a really good segue into our free agent. Wait, hang on real quick. You want one here? Sure. Devin McCourty just tweeted at Kyle Van Noy with the eyeball emojis and picture the two of them in Patriots uniform. I'm telling you, it just emoji season, baby. It makes season to not have it happen for everybody because Van Noy can easily come back here, have another 60 pressure season rushing the passer for Bill Belichick and go ahead and get a very similar deal that he just got in Miami for another team. It just, it just has all uh, the makings of a return in, in the world. Let's talk about these free agent offensive players though. As I mentioned off the top of the show, we're not going to really hit on quarterbacks, but I do want to tell you guys that we're assuming that Dak Prescott Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin, and this one's a little bit more 50-50, but I think the Lions are eventually going to tag Kenny Galladay as well. So I think those four guys are all going to be franchise tags. So we're not going to talk about them. We're going to talk about people that we Can we, we not know. talk about them as trade targets when it comes to Dak Prescott? A tag and trade situation, I guess we could we could have. I don't – I I will say it again because I, I, I just you, want to say it a million times so I can find it when it happens and go back to it. I don't see a world where Dak Prescott can self-respectively play under the franchise tag for the Dallas Cowboys. I don't see it. It's After totally all he's given that organization, the injury and all of that, and, and the quarterback empowerment and what's going on, dude, get paid. Get some long-term financial security. Jerry's going to tag you. There's, it's a hundred percent guaranteed 40 million bucks. One year. As he signs the tender, he's 40 million dollars richer. That's why you One do it. One year. And I think it's important that Kirk Cousins talked about this a little bit about not being afraid of the tag as a quarterback, right? Because you can actually make more money if you sign two tags and then a three-year deal after that for franchise quarterback money, you end up making more money than you would if you just signed a deal in the, in the short term. I think the Cowboys and Dad Prescott are headed to sort of a little bit of a standoff here because, uh, Dak wants that deal, obviously. He wants to get Patrick Mahomes level money. He's not going to get that, right? He's right. a great quarterback, but he's not Patrick Mahomes. So he's not going to touch that, but he wants $35, 40000000 million a year. And I think the sticker shock of that, regardless of how highly they think of uh, Dak Prescott in the building, the pure sticker shock of that I think is too much right now for Jerry Jones, right, to, to really sell himself on paying one guy $38 million a year for the next five, six, seven years. I just don't think Jerry can stomach it right now. And and that's going to be the problem for Dallas with Dak is that Dak is not going to commit to anything less than what he's worth as he shouldn't and they're kind of heading towards an impasse there. But let, let's drop the Dak all thing. Right, all right, all right. We know that you want them to, to sneakily go after Dak. I get it. Let, let's talk about Hunter Henry here though for a second who is projected to make $12.5 million per year on the open market as the top paid tight end in free agency. We know Bill Belichick loves the guy. We know he's been watching him since high school and all that kind of stuff. And he is your prototypical Y tight end, right? You can put his hand in the dirt and block. He can run routes from inline or detach from the formation. He runs really good route breaks at the top of his route. He's very clean at the top and he can break 
take off of options and stuff like that. That's what he did with the Chargers a lot. When he is healthy, he's a pretty good red zone weapon as well. So you understand why he is going to make as much money as he's going to make. I actually think that the money is a little bit on top of what Hunter Henry himself has said personally about the quarterback situation needing to be good and the situation around him needing to be a certain level of of, uh, contention. I think the money factor is actually going to play in here with Hunter Henry because the Patriots did just take two guys in the third round at the position. Are they really then going to take that and then allocate a lot of a decent amount of cap space to a tight end as well. So now you have two top 101 picks, a $12.5 million tight end, three guys that you're kind of invested in that one spot when you're really only going to play one or two at a time. Yeah, it's going to come down to the money. And, look, he can say he wants to play for a winner all he wants. J.J. Watt said that, and he signed with the Cardinals, who aren't bad, but they're not, you know, a contender. They're not a top-level team. If the Patriots want Hunter Henry, they have to pay him the most money. Right. It's that simple. And whether they will or not, you know, I, I, I don't know that you put him in the situation with, I, I think if you, if you really want Hunter Henry and he's how you fix your tight, you think, hey, he's how you fix your tight end position, you write off Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene as just operational losses. Right. right. And that is what it is. You're going to stick with those guys and they're fine backup tight ends. And the, uh, the idea is if you give, what was it, $12 million a year for how many years? What was the projection there? It's about four years, $12.5 million deal. It's it's essentially the same as what other guys like Austin Hooper and people of that level have gotten in the free agent tight end market, just obviously relative to this year's cap. So we'll call it like a four-year $55 million deal, right? Yeah, something like if that. You're, if you're giving Hunter Henry a four-year $55 million deal, the idea is you're done adding at tight end for right. the next four years. So. And I I said this, right, when we talked about drafting tight ends, that I think that whatever tight end they add this year, that's it. The conversation's over. You're done. So they have to hit on that. Like, if you add Hunter Henry, yes, you can't add anymore. But in theory, that should be fine because you have Hunter Henry and you're okay. So, like, I'm not worried about that. I would think they wouldn't be worried about that because you're not signing Hunter Henry with the thought that, shoot, now we can't add any more tight ends. You shouldn't need to. That being said, if they really want – you know, a better second tight end on top of it, then Hunter Henry's not your guy. Then what you need to do is sign a Gerald Everett or trade for Zach Ertz and then dip back into the draft and try to get one of these top tier tight ends. That's how you build that way. And then maybe you cut bait with Dalton Keene at some point to free up the roster spot. I don't think you can look at, when it comes to the draft, I think you can look at Asiasi and Keene as stopping the addition of a tight end. Because three tight ends on rookie deals, you're really tied in now to guys who are not sure things. Hunter Henry, injuries aside, is as sure a thing as you're going to get. So if you're bringing him in, I'm not worried if that closes the door in the tight end position because it should be closed. You shouldn't need to add another tight end if you get Hunter Henry. But again, if they want to get him, that projection was what, 12 and a half over four years? It might take 60 over four because not only are you going to need to pay him the most, you're going to need to pay him significantly more since he's coming to a situation where there's offensive uncertainty. You might need to pay him $15 million a year. Is he worth that? He would be if he didn't get hurt a lot. I can tell you that. We know the Chargers medical staff is like, a, a, I want to say a mess. That's underselling it. Yeah. One of their one of their trainers punctured the starting quarterback's lungs, and it was like, oh, this isn't the first time something this dumb has happened. Right. So. You know, maybe Hunter Henry's not injury prone. Maybe the Chargers just suck ass at keeping their players healthy, which that certainly lines up, right? Every year there's one big Charger injury in training camp. 
I mean, Keenan so, Allen has been hurt his entire career. With, Keenan Allen, who is uh, Casey Hayward, got hurt like four yeah. years in a row, right in training right. camp. So like, it's it's even trickier there because you don't know what the real injury situation is. But again, they're going to have to pay him and pay him a lot. But I wouldn't let that I wouldn't let that stop me because I think he solves your issues at tight end as well as any option you're going to get this offseason. Yeah, I agree 100% with that. I think what the interesting thing about Hunter Henry's quarterback comment was, is that, does that mean that he doesn't feel that Justin Herbert is a good enough quarterback to bring him back to the Chargers? I don't know if he necessarily meant that, but saying that the quarterback has to be good and he's willing to kind of shop himself in free agency a little bit kind of suggests that maybe he doesn't even feel like a rookie or a second year quarterback like Herbert is moving the needle for him. He needs to go to a situation where there's a proven veteran commodity at that but spot. None of those teams have cap. None of the right. teams that have those quarterbacks that's, have caps. I, I think a lot of guys say things when they enter free agency, right? Because it's really easy to say something when you don't have the dollar amount in front of you. Again, look yeah. at J.J. Watt. If he really wanted to like go to a winner and it was about maximizing his career, he would have played for $900,000 for the Pittsburgh Steelers, lined up next to his brother. They would have had the best defense in football. But when you have, when, you can say all you want. When there's $15 million and $25 million sitting in front of you on the table, you know, a lot of that stuff just goes right out the window. So. Yeah. Yeah. And Hunter Henry, like you said, I think is a plug and play player that fills all the needs that you need at, at, out of a tight end, right? He can be a matchup weapon. He can be a blocker. He can do a little bit of everything. You know, he's not necessarily as versatile as a guy like John Smith, who we're going to talk about here in a second, but he's definitely checks a lot of those boxes. I just wonder if he's going to want to come here. I wonder if the Patriots are going to be attractive enough if Bill Belichick gushing him about him and saying how much he loves him all the way back to high school is really going to be enough on top of the fact that they're going to offer him the money. Is that going to be enough to allure him here? The next uh, name we want to talk about is Will Fuller, who is going to be paid. Despite his injury history, uh, the projections are still having him at over around $16, $17 million a year. That sounds like a whole lot of money for a guy that's never on the field. But when he is on the field, we're talking about a game breaker, you know, a game breaking vertical threat that is one of the best vertical threats in the entire NFL at just creating separation over the top of the defense and getting behind the defense. We're talking about somebody that can really burn on the inside in the slot or on the outside, not necessarily a scheme touch guy, not a ball carrier like a Tyreek Hill, but just a traditional straight line. I'm going to meet you in the end zone type of player. It's a lot of money, but the Patriots desperately need somebody like that, that can do that, those sort of things. Yeah, I just think with Fuller, right, they look at value. Are, how do they value him? They're not, you're not getting him for, what is it, six games, right? Yeah. The suspension, the first six games of his contract. No, 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 no. And, he served, he served five of those games at the end oh, of the so it's just one? It's one game. Oh, yeah. okay. So never mind. Then yeah, like maybe he's an option. I, again, with, I just, I, I've said this before. He's going to be probably top three paid receiver in free agency, right? If not top yeah, five. Yeah. I, you know, if you're going to spend $25 million at that position, give me a $15 million guy and a $10 million guy instead of just one $25 million guy. That's just not, you know, the Patriots need more than one receiver, more than one established receiver. Can they go to the draft? Sure. But what do they really have for NFL caliber wide receivers on this roster? We don't know what Julian Edelman's status is going to be during the year. Nikhil Harry obviously is still a project. Tamir Bird is third, fourth receiver, maybe he's not a oh, guy sure, you count sure. on. Jacoby Myers is the closest thing they have, and he's even, you know, he 
he shouldn't be your first receiver. He should be your third or fourth. So right there, you need at least two, if not three guys. If you spend all that money on Will Fuller, all that's going to happen, happen is Will Fuller is going to get double covered. And yeah, Jacoby Myers has a slightly better year than he did last year, but you're kind of just right back where you were. They need to have options. They need guys who will stress the defense from different points. Blowing $20 million on Will Fuller, well, he's a good player, doesn't solve that. It needs to be multiple players. They need to build an offense, not just acquire talent. And what it's going to cost them to bring in Will Fuller, I think handcuffs them in acquiring some of that second-level talent that they ultimately need to get back into contention. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think the biggest thing with Will Fuller, though, just to play devil's advocate, is that the Patriots have been the slowest offense in the NFL for two years, right? They've been, I would say, even um, arguably three years. If you want to go back to the 2018 season, even though that ended with the Super Bowl, that offense had its issues. Certainly during the regular season at times had some really big issues. And Will Fuller, when he's healthy, and that's, that's a big if, if he's healthy, he comes in here and he brings a level of explosiveness that they have not had since, I guess, Brendan Cooks, right? They they just haven't had somebody that can truly explode and create big plays for the offense like Will Fuller can. That's what they need. They need a big play threat, and Will Fuller is one of the best, and he's an unrestricted free agent, and he's available. That That's sort of the conversation there. Next guy on my list here is Juju Smith-Schuster, who I think – if Juju Smith-Schuster did none of the TikTok stuff, did none of the off-field trash talk, didn't stop on dance on logos and all that <laughs> kind of stuff, if you just looked at Juju Smith-Schuster on tape and you said, would the Patriots be interested in this player, the answer would be 100% yes. But something tells me that Bill Belichick is not going to pay a wide receiver $16 million a year that's just as interested in making TikTok videos as he is as preparing for his next opponent. Yeah, there's a commitment question there. He also, yeah. the, the the last Steelers receiver, granted, completely different kind of person, personality issue. You're not but, sure if it is. At this point, you're not sure, though, right? Like, did some of that Antonio Brown juice rub off on Juju? Because No, because didn't they hate each other? And Juju wasn't that guy because he's, you know, he's a second round pick. There were some concerns coming out of USC about his speed and his ability to separate and stuff like that. And he came in and he worked his butt off and made himself into a really good NFL player that's going to get paid this offseason. But now all of a sudden he started reading, you know, his own press clippings a little bit, got a little bit diva in him. And he's kind of changed a little bit more towards that Antonio Brown diva wide receiver mentality. Yeah. And again, like different. Different personality issues, but the last yeah. dealer's receiver bill brought in didn't exactly go swimmingly. They're still literally paying for it. I, I, I you know, you mentioned the work ethic is there yes. because he's not the player he was at USC. We know he knows how to make himself a better player. That one to me comes down to a meeting. I can see Bill Belichick being interested, but it's going to be, you know, can you, can he look Juju Smith Schuster in the eyes and see, yes, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to tow the company line. I'm going to be what you want to be. I think that the concept that Bill Belichick sucks all the personality out of his players is a little no, overblown, right. right? Yeah. Rob Gronkowski, look, he's not the guy he is now in Tampa, but he was able to have a personality. Tom Brady certainly on social media in his later years in New England was able to have a personality. We've seen guys like JC Jackson talks a lot. Yeah. We don't talk about it, but he, he, what did he say before he said, or during talked, training camp last year? I can cover he anything. He talked about Juju. After that, yeah, I don't remember that one, but I remember that I can cover anything. Yeah, yeah, you know, he does talk a little bit. Juju talks a lot, though. You know, it's basically 
the the whole you know Bill won't because he uses social media. That's yeah. overblown. I, I I do think there's an element of it, the dancing on the logo stuff, right? Bill's yeah. not going to want that. The one thing he doesn't want is bulletin board material. So Correct. I think it comes down to a conversation and basically, you know, his pitch to Juju is I can get the most out of you. You did a really good job growing your game. I can, can help you keep growing it, but you need to cut back somewhat on the social media. Does he believe, w- w- will Juju agree to that? And will Bill trust Juju to agree to that becomes the question. But there are, you know, Juju's a special talent. He's not a unique talent. There are other guys for roughly the same price who are going to give you roughly the same thing. They might not be as young, but how many receivers truly get a second contract with the Patriots? So that might not be something Bill's worried about. But he can go elsewhere, find guys who can give him the same production Bill can who aren't going to be dancing on logos. So that might be, you know, kind of the breaking point for that one. Yeah, that's the biggest thing, I think, on the positive end for Juju. First of all, he's got that great inside-outside versatility. He's a guy that ran out of the slot a lot in Pittsburgh, but he can also play on the outside. And he's learned how to get fast enough and have enough burst off the line to scrimmage that he can win with body positioning and contested catch situations down the field. He's a lot like a player like an A.J. Brown, for instance, who – doesn't necessarily create loads of separation every single time he goes out there, but he gets enough of separation that once the ball is thrown to him that he's able to adjust to it and box out at the catch point and make plays on the ball down the field, and that's how he gets productive, and that's how he gets his yards. That's how Juju plays. I I remember when the Patriots drafted Nikhil Harry, I was like, okay, best-case scenario, he's like a Juju type of player that can move inside or outside and use his size. That's what Juju has already been, and Juju, I think, is only 24 years old because he's one of the younger rookies in the NFL when he came in four years ago. So he's still a very, very young player as well, which can often be appealing to teams knowing that you're still getting a guy in his mid-20s instead of somebody that's pushing 30, like someone like a Marvin Jones, for instance, who's going to be 30-31, might not be appealing to a rebuilding team like Juju, who's 24. You know, that's definitely a big difference. So I I love, again, the player fits like a glove here in New England. You know, he's a perfect fit for the Patriots system. It's just the, the character and, and kind of the makeup of the player. I, I'm not sure if necessarily that checks the New England box. Is he going to kind of buy in? And is he going to adhere to the Patriot way? That's definitely a question mark. Corey Davis is another receiver that I wrote down that I think He's a lot like Juju in some senses in terms of his playing style, but he's a little quieter <laughs> than Juju yeah. is, right? And that's sort of maybe more up their alley. He's around that $15, $16 million range as well. Coming out of college, people thought that he was going to be a super dynamic route runner. It actually turned out that he is more of a vertical route runner on the outside that wins in contested situations as well, but it really works the vertical route tree and the sideline extremely well. This is a guy that I kind of come to like a better version of like a Brandon LaFell for the Patriots that can just come in here and play that X receiver position extremely well. Another guy that's relatively young, 25, 26 years old, looking at his second contract right now. I think that this is the type of player that they could go after that might surprise some people. You know, it's not sort of like that Stephon Gilmore contract where we wake up one morning and they, and they sign Corey Davis to this really nice contract that, that kind of takes everybody by surprise. But I don't think it should be as surprising as we might think because he's sort of notch below those guys that are going to get really paid, still kind of in the middle, though, and has that 1,000-yard season on his resume. Yeah, he's, again, so to go back what I said before, 
when I talk about like the 15 million to $10 million guy and start building the offense, like Corey Davis is the exact guy I look at. Here's yeah. a guy who's going to give you something you don't have. He's going to be consistent. He's done it before. He's an experienced NFL receiver. Like you plug him in and then you go get a speedster on the other side. You know, Prashad Perryman is the name that I'm always going to throw out there. Like now you're building an offense. Corey Davis is a guy where he's going to give you the production. He's not a world beater, right? right? People aren't lining up to play as Corey Davis in Madden, even though he's a very good player. But you add Corey Davis, you add another good complimentary piece. You bring in that tight end. All of a sudden, you're building an offense. You're putting it together. You're getting a guy you can rely on to produce game in, game out. It's not a crapshoot of, you know, is he going to have one catch on 10 targets, whatever. Is he going to get a target? Is he going to get open? That's what it was all year last year with everybody. Corey Davis is going to put up numbers. He's going to produce. He's not going to be a superstar, but he's going to help you move the football. And that's just what the Patriots need right now. They need multiple players who can help them move the football through the air. Corey Davis is one of them, and he comes at a price where you can go out and get other guys that will help you move the football. Yeah, the Patriots have really missed for a long time now, I would say, that true boundary receiver, a guy that can win on the outside against man coverage and create enough of of separation out there to work the sideline or a comeback route or a post route or a dig route over the middle of the field from an outside alignment. They sort of had it with Josh Gordon, but obviously we know that situation. That was its own thing, right? Right. Good for him, though, signing with the FCF, by the way. Good for him. I hope he gets back to the NFL at some point. If you're looking for what Corey Davis's role and what his route tree would look like in New England, though, it's Josh Gordon's role and route tree, right? A guy on the yeah. outside, you're going to run slants, you're going to run digs, you're going to run posts and vertical routes. That's what the Patriots also need on top of big plays and explosiveness, somebody that can beat out. And I really like your point about just that consistent, okay, we know that we can pencil in Corey Davis at the X from weeks one through 16, and he's going to be a good player for us. Right, like five catches, 80 yards, a touchdown. You're going to get that week in, week out. Again, you're not going to win an MVP doing that, but it's 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 building. you got to walk before you can run. Yeah. And, you know, if you just go out and sign Allen Robinson and try to get a 1,500-yard receiver and then you don't add anything else, defenses are just going to double and triple Allen Robinson. He's not going to get 1,500 yards, and you're stuck where you were last year. You build that all up, you go out, you get talented pieces, and then you try to figure out a way where, because this is how the Patriots won for years outside of, you know, the Randy Moss era. People talk about Brady never had any talent. He never had any supreme talent. But when you put so much talent on the field and you stretch a defense so thin, right? Because this year, defenses didn't have to worry about anybody outside of maybe Jacoby Myers. So they could you know, neutralize him more. If you've got to worry about, I'll use the early 2000 teams as an example, because the Patriots are doing that throwback thing now on Twitter. So that's been in my head. If you got to worry about Troy Brown in the slot and David Patton and David Gibbons, and and you've got Kevin Falk in the backfield, right? All of a sudden now, you that's less you can do on each individual guy. It's yeah. it's a little bit less, but if if the coverage on each individual guy gets a little bit lighter, Overall, that makes those players better. So if you put together a whole offense and not just one superstar, each one of those individual players are going to look above their level because none of them can get that focus that you get, right, like two years ago when it was just Julian Edelman and that was it. And Gronk was gone and Brown was gone and Gordon was hurt. That's what happened. Teams just narrowed in on Edelman. He caught 100 passes, but they couldn't really do anything because teams basically figured out if we hold Edelman to this – we could do it without expending too many resources elsewhere. 
and they can't beat us with anybody else. That's what you want to avoid. Just Allen Robinson, just Kenny Galladay, even if it's just Juju, because he might be in that $20 million range, right? If you have just one of those guys, teams will say, all right, we'll take that guy away. You know, go beat us with Demir Bird. Go beat us with this UDFA. Go beat us with that seven. We're not even bringing up Nikhil Harry's name. You know? Right. Go beat us with Nikhil Harry is what teams will say. And they, we now know the Patriots, at least as they're constructed, can't do that. So let's take Corey Davis and my last name on my list okay. and let's pair him with Curtis Samuel. And now, like you have, now you have a guy in Corey Davis who's going to play DX, that's going to play outside, and you have a guy in Curtis Samuel who's your Z off the line flanker, whatever you want to call it, receiver that can move all around the formation. I actually found a tweet of mine from way back when when Curtis Samuel was in the draft. I didn't, I didn't remember this until I was searching my handle with Curtis Samuel's name for a video, and I re- realized that Curtis Samuel used to play running back. Right. And that was his initial role in college and his initial position in college. So he's got vertical ability at four, three, one speed and he's got ball carrying ability with a running back background. So he's your sort of Swiss army knife versatile guy off the line of scrimmage that you're moving around the formation. Davis is your outside guy with your one on one coverage winner. That's an offense, right? Now you're starting to have complementary pieces. Curtis Samuel right now projected around $9 million. Corey Davis, you give 16 to Corey Davis. You give 9 to Curtis Samuel. You're at that 25 for 2 is what we talk about all the time. Right. Now you have an offense. Now you have two complementary offensive weapons that are going to be difficult to match up against, that are going to be able to create mismatches across the field because the Patriots are going to be able to move those guys around and be creative with them. Exactly. That's what we're looking for. And, you know, I, I think then you add a tight end to that, whether it's Henry and now you're kind of spending a lot of money, but you're going to have a pretty right. good offense or it's trading for Zach Ertz. Maybe even a guy like Tyler Eifert, who I don't think is being talked about enough. I think Eifert, you know, he's played on some irrelevant teams, right? He was in Cincinnati and then he was with Jacksonville last year. Just, you know, they're black holes. They're football black holes. Nobody's really seen him, but he can play. Is he Henry? No. Is he Ertz? Based on what we saw last year, if that regression holds, he might be about that level. You know, you add him, now you have, you know, not an elite number one tight end, but a number one tight end. And then Jacoby Myers, you know, now suddenly there's a role for him. Now if Edelman comes back, even though he's hurt, he can maybe play a reduced role, a situational role where there's less of a workload. You figure out, you know, what you're doing at running back because James White's a free agent. Like, now you're putting an offense together where, again, if you spend – $20 $20 million on Hunter Henry and $20 million on Alshon Jeffrey. You have a ton of star fat power, but especially without a quarterback, like that's not – those players are hard to defend in Hunter Henry and Alshon Jeffrey. But if you just add Hunter Henry and Alshon Jeffrey to last year's Patriots offense, are they that tough to defend? They're not that much better, I think, with those guys. Right. The reason why I love a guy like Samuel is I mentioned the versatility and the ball carrying. That's the type of player that Josh McDaniels always figures out a way to use, right? And I don't think Curtis Samuel, on his natural ability, if you just line him up in the slot or you line him up outside, he only had 851 receiving yards for Carolina last year. He's not going to blow it. He's not going to, you know, wow anybody, right? He's not going to go off for 1,500 yards just off his own natural ability. But if you get him with an offense, a coordinator like McDaniels who knows how to move guys around, who knows how to create mismatches for guys, who knows how to create foot races for players that are fast like Curtis Samuel, then you can maybe get a little bit more production where I could see him having, you know, over a thousand yards, maybe 1,100 yards when you add in rushing yards or behind the line of scrimmage type of plays and stuff like that. We're talking about something here with him. And I think that he's going to be very affordable. 
is the other thing. Maybe you have to max him out at like $10, $11 million a year just to get the player because of all the kind of uh, competition for him. I think that there is going to be out there. But I think right. that he's the type of guy that's not going to break the bank, but the Patriots are going to have a unique way of using him in mind already that might be a little bit different than, hey, you know, Curtis Samuel, you run left. Corey Davis, you run right, and, and everybody get open, right? That's not necessarily right. what the Patriots are going to ask of Curtis Samuel. So I think that one's exciting. Let's talk about these last two tight ends. We're up against it, so let's do them uh, quickly here. Johnny Smith, I already put out a video. I said he's my, one of my top targets for the Patriots. Another chess piece, versatile guy. He can still play in line and put his hand in the dirt and block. He can still uh, do anything, really, uh, on the offensive side of the football. They played him at running back a little bit at, in Tennessee, which you know Bill Belichick's like salivating over that, right? The possibility of playing a six foot three, two hundred and sixty pound tight end at running back has got Bill Belichick all giddy. So I think he's the type of player that plays a lot of different roles in the Patriots offense, and it's one guy that could do it all. He can play Y in line, he can play in the slot, he can play sort of that H back off the line role as a tight end. Uh, a fun player if he comes here to New England. Yeah, I just don't know, like. He's not what they tend to look for in tight ends, right? They want those bigger six foot five, six foot six yeah. tight ends. Um, the, the shorter tight ends they get generally are much quicker. I wouldn't say Smith is exactly a speed demon. He's, I'm, like, he's unique. He's kind of, I, I can't compare him to somebody he's built like who the Patriots have had. Cause again, they just don't go after that guy. Like, I don't think he'd be a bad player, but again, I look at a guy like Eifert who just kind of fits their more traditional mold. Would he be a bad player to break the mold for? No, certainly not. I think he can play, but he just doesn't seem to be, he doesn't seem to have some of what they look for at the position, namely in terms of size. Yeah, the size thing is an issue, but I think the guy that you, you don't want to mention that he kind of is like is Aaron Hernandez. And but he's, but he's not that fast. He's not as quick or elusive. I, I mean, is he? He's a really great player after the catch. I mean, that's one, he's one uh, consistently up near the top of the league amongst tight ends in terms of yards after the catch per reception. He obviously doesn't have the targets or the target share that a guy like a Travis Kelsey has, for instance, where he can really rack up raw yak totals. But just in terms of him creating with the ball in his hands, he's really, really good in that department. I don't know if he's as quick or as kind of agile through his route breaks as a guy like Hernandez was, but he is that player that, you know, you go and you watch Hernandez's old tape. They really, obviously they had Gronk, so that that's part of the right. reason, but he was somebody that they were always constantly moving around. I remember them running him, having him run routes as a running back out of the backfield at times. You know, that's the type of thing that you could do with Johnny. It's kind of harking back to some of those Aaron Hernandez little uh, wrinkles in the playbook. I think that he definitely fits that. Archetype but again, I, I think a lot of that in the Gronk one. I think a lot of that worked because they had Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, and if you don't like John U. Smith is number two. I think makes more sense for the role that he would play. You don't want your lone tight end in the formation lining up in the backfield. Like I don't know that that makes a ton of sense. And the um, question is, is if you compare Johnu and let's say they actually believe in Devin Asiasi as an inline option because Asiasi did block pretty well last year, right? But then like your your number one tight end is your second best tight end. I feel like you're just getting into this really weird because they're they put a lot into the pay structure, right, and all of yeah. that. And Johnu's going to be your highest paid tight end. He's going to be your best tight end, but you're going to have him essentially filling a number two role. I, I just think that there's there's boundaries there in terms of how they usually operate. And I'll say, because I, I say it every show, I have to say it, take a drink because I said it, they're going to be uncharacteristically aggressive. So maybe they break the mold this year. 
but I just think there's boundaries to how they usually operate to make Johnu Smith a tough sell. A little bit outside of their traditional boxes that need to be checked at that spot. Right. But they love versatility. They really they do, do love yeah. versatility. They love guys that they can move around. He can certainly do that. Last one here, Gerald Everett. This is now we're getting into like the affordable tight end market. I know Gerald Everett yeah. at $5 million presents a ton of value because with the Rams, their offense is really run through their wide receivers and their backs. It's not really a very tight end heavy offense. It didn't have a ton of opportunity playing in that big base scheme. You give him some more opportunity. He's certainly got some receiving skill. You can watch it. You can see it when he does get the chances to do it and he can block a little bit. I think that Gerald Everett's a nice guy to kind of look at it, what he could become in a year or two in a different system that really you know, kind of amplifies his skill set as a tight end versus what McVeigh was doing with him where he was really a fourth or a fifth option at best. Yeah, I, I like Eifert kind of like you said, because of the upside. I think he's a guy that talk about checking boxes. He checks a ton of the boxes for the Patriots in terms of size, in terms of athleticism. He just doesn't necessarily have the resume. He hasn't right. been given a ton of opportunities. Some of that was the system. But again, he's more, there's a question with that. There's a risk with that. Is he a number one tight end. You don't know for sure. And if you add him, that's it. You're done adding tight ends. If you sign him to a three-year deal, you risk essentially really handcuffing yourself into not having a number one tight end. I wouldn't, I don't think it would be a bad move to sign him, but if it's him for three years versus again, I keep going back to Eifert, a guy like Eifert for a year who has done it and granted he's backslid a little bit, but he's a good mentor to the guys you have in the room, all of that. You can do Eifert for a year, then reassess. Suddenly those rookie deals are a lot easier to get out of. You can really rearrange things. That's where I'm looking. But if they sign Gerald Everett, that's a good signing. That's ultimately a good signing. It's yeah. just there is an inherent, you know, I don't, for me it's either, I feel like I've been on both sides of this. I either want them to take all the risks or I want them to take no risks. The, the risk with Everett is, like, you don't know that he's the number one tight end. Eifert, in theory, has done it. He had a down year last year, but he was in Jacksonville, so does it count? You know, the, the whole team had a down year. The issue with Eifert is that he's injured all the time. He's got a really extensive injury history. Right, but, if I mean, if we're talking about Hunter Henry, then should yeah, Eifert be on the table? And he did play 16 games last year. I think he's played 16 games the last couple of years. So Gerald Everett, I think the interesting thing about him is just that if you want to see – what maybe you still have in Asiasi and Keen as right. a development. By the way, Eifert's missed just one game in the last few years. Okay, so he's been more durable as of late. If yeah. you want to see what you have in Asiasi and Keen still, then Everett is not a $12.5 million player, right? right. So if you, if you sink $5 million into Gerald Everett and Devin Asiasi ends up outplaying him, then so be it, sort of, right? And you're not going to commit right. multiple years of guaranteed money, I you wouldn't think to a guy like Gerald Everett anyway. So maybe it is an only one-year thing, but it does buy you time, and it is an upgrade over, like, the Matt Lacostas and the Ryan Izzos of the world where you do have a serviceable NFL tight end to put in that spot while you develop the second-year guys. So maybe that's sort of more of the thinking of, okay, so if he's only here for one year as sort of that stopgap, and that's great if Asiasi ends up being good or Keen ends up being good, right? Yeah, that's a good thing for the Patriots. And then you can kind of move on to Everett. Whereas with Hunter Henry or Johnny Smith, you sign those guys to ten plus million dollar deals. You're you're stuck with those players for a couple of years, and those are your guys for a few years. And you're essentially giving up on any hope that Asiasi and Keen develop into number one tight ends. Everett is more of like a complementary piece to that group. Right. 
than necessarily the star that's going to surpass that group automatically as soon as they sign. So that's why we went there with Gerald Everett, affordable guy. Uh, we didn't mention I didn't have time to get to Marvin Jones, another player that I, I always have liked him for the Patriots, but the issue I have with Marvin Jones is that he's going to be 31 years old. I don't know if they're in the market for 31-year-old wide receivers anymore. You know, you don't have Tom Brady where you're in a win-now Super Bowl window. You know, maybe a few years ago, Marvin Jones would have made a little bit more sense. Uh, right. Two RFAs, Tim Patrick, Robert Tanyan, you know, those are guys I think that we should mention at least before we sign off here. But that's a good list. You know, if you, to need wide receivers or tight ends, uh, there's been a lot of free agent classes that have less talent than this. No, it's, it's- it's, it's a good year to need a pass catcher. It is. Right. Well, you never want to need a pass catcher, but if there's a year to, to do it. I'll, I'll, I, let me throw one more thing in because this is why you know, I was hesitant breaking news when it's pre-recorded. So this just now from Rappaport. Kyle Vinoy has played his last down for the Dolphins, but a release won't come today. The team will try to trade him first. So sorry if you listen to the first 20 minutes of the show, I guess. I mean, it doesn't matter. I, don't, I mean, I don't know who's trading for his contract. I don't think that. You know, maybe the Patriots are probably the most likely team to trade for his contract to give up like a six round pick right. for his contract, but you know, maybe that all becomes irrelevant. How funny would it be if the Patriots just did the exact same thing that they did to get Kyle Van Noy in the first place to Detroit? They trade a sixth and they get back the player, you know, from a conditional perspective or something. I forget exactly what the pick swap was, but it was a pick swap trade to get Kyle Van Noy, I believe, in the first place. Maybe they can pull something off like that with Miami, but the contract comes into play then, right? Then Because then you're picking up the contract if you acquire him via trade. So my guess is that the Patriots are not going to make a move on Kyle Van Noy until he's outright released. I doubt that they would trade for that contract because they wouldn't pay that contract last offseason. You know, if they were going to pay him, they would have paid him. So, and I, again, I, I don't think any, like, who does trade for him? Who is out there right now in a year where everybody's cap strapped saying, I want to pay a, lot, a, a linebacker $14 million, right? You know, a non-top tier linebacker. Yeah. They know he's good, but he's not, he's not JJ Watt. Right. So, right. you know, I, I still think he ultimately hits free agency. Well, that that about wraps up the show. We were very excited to break down that breaking news of Kyle Van Noy because that one. We had fun. That's all that matters. That that's the one makes all the sense in the world. Hopefully, we hit on at least one name that we talked about today that ends up in a Patriot uniform in a couple of weeks. Alex and I will be back on our live Q and A edition of the podcast on Thursday, three p.m. Eastern, always on Patriot CLNS or Patriots YouTube channel, Patriots Press Pass as well. So make sure to look out for that on Thursday where. We can answer your questions and talk about more offensive targets for New England. And then we'll be back on the pod again next Tuesday, talking more Patriots free agency. Maybe we'll hit on some of their own free agents because there are quite a few guys that are set to be free agents from the New England perspective. 26 players uh, from the Patriots roster last year. Granted, not the best roster in the NFL by any means, but 26 players is still a big number. So we'll talk about some of those guys next week as well. Q&A on Thursday. But until then, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching.